Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Uh, What I'd like to do is spend the next few weeks uh, this summer looking at what the book of Proverbs says about building healthy homes. And the intent would really be to look at what Proverbs says about things like the home specifically. Uh, Men and husbands, women and wives, parents and children, sons and daughters. We'll kind of see how many of those different things uh, we get to. But today I would like to start uh, this Sunday and next Sunday with the home itself. What's your home like? Could someone come in and give your home a perfect bill of health? Uh, well, my guess is that probably that's, that's probably not the case for any of our homes. Uh, is your home a war zone with wreckage and carnage everywhere? Is it happy, miserable? Uh, what's it like? What are the positives in your home, in your household, in your family? And what are the negatives? A recent statistic stated that 70 to 80 percent of people consider their families to be dysfunctional. Uh, In the face of such a glim reality like that, is there any hope that your family or your home could be any different? That somehow your house could be the exception to the rule? I think there's just this reality that many people poorly construct their homes. And that's one of the reasons that God gave you and I the book of Proverbs. It's a really simple book. In many ways, sharing a lot of very simple truths. God wants you to know how to build a home his way. Uh, You may recall that King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and he's writing to his son. And among other things, Solomon wanted his son to know how to build a strong, healthy house or home. It can be done. This book has much to say about our homes. In fact, it uses the word house 38 times. And sometimes when that word is used in the book, it refers to your literal house, the the four walls that you live in. Other times it refers to your household, uh, which would include your family members living in your house. It would include uh, others perhaps as well who, who may be living with you, extended family, friends, people you're connected with. Sometimes actually as Proverbs uses the word house, it's hard to tell and distinguish if it's talking about your, your literal physical house or your household because it's just all so closely knit together. And other times the word house is used of your family, whether they live in your house with you or not. And I think all of us uh, have families. As we look at what Proverbs says about our homes, I think it's important to understand, before we dive into this study at all, it's important to understand what a proverb is. Uh, Because a lot of people read the book of Proverbs and, and they misunderstand it and the nature of this category of literature. A proverb is not a promise or a guarantee. So, for example, if you, you, take, up, uh, you take a proverb uh, that talks about train up a child and, and the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't uh, depart from it, and you take that as a promise, you're not understanding the, the, the nature of the category of Scripture that we're looking at. Proverbs aren't promises. Proverbs are basically gen- general principles that generally prove true most of the time. These Proverbs about our homes are so practical, helpful, and valuable, and we want to heed them because they're God's wisdom to us. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow His plan. I've invited you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and I just want to open up by reading verse 33. Proverbs three thirty-three: The Lord's curse is on the house 
of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Uh, This Sunday and next, we're going to consider eight pieces of advice for builders. And and basically, all these pieces of advice are going to come from these verses in Proverbs that specifically address the house and use that word. So we'll look at four pieces of advice this morning. First, make sure you have God's blessing. Not everyone's home is blessed by God. But you know what? (laughs) Everyone's home, including your home, can be. Proverbs sets up some stark contrasts like this. Your home will either be blessed by God or your home will be cursed by God. You are either righteous or you are wicked. And you have these stark contrasts, pretty black and white, not a whole lot in between. I want you to to turn or simply listen to several verses from Proverbs about the houses of the righteous and the houses of the wicked and how God relates to each of these type of homes. Let's start in chapter 12, verse 7, if you want to flip over there. Proverbs 12, verse 7 says that the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. It has stability. It will stand. And you can just look over to chapter 14, verse 11. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. What a contrast. One house is destroyed. One family is destroyed. And the other flourishes and it prospers. Flip over to chapter 21, verse 12. And this verse is going to start out uh, by speaking about the Lord. And he's referred to as the righteous one. Proverbs 21, verse 12 says this, The righteous one, that's God, observes the house of the wicked. He sees it. He takes note. And then it says that he throws the wicked down to ruin. And then the verse that we started with, which I think summarizes so many of the verses that we're going to look at today, Proverbs 3, verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. God blesses the house of the righteous. By God's standard, you are either righteous or you are wicked. You fall into one of those two categories. Well, how are the two distinguished? No one really probably wants to think of themselves as wicked. How are the two distinguished? Well, you might think something like this. Well, um, righteous people do the right thing more often than not. They consistently just kind of do the right thing. And wicked people don't. And so it would seem that it's performance-based to some degree, based on who's good and who's not. But here's what you need to understand. By nature, we're all wicked. By nature, we're all born into this category of the wicked. This is much bigger than our deeds. This is who we are. But there are a certain group of people who the Bible says God justifies or he declares righteous. He takes them from the category of the wicked and he declares them righteous. In fact, 
Romans chapter 3, verse 25 explains that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God does something. God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. He's the justifier. He's the one who declares people righteous. Who does he declare righteous? People who put their trust in Jesus Christ to save them from their sins and save them from the wrath of God. So I say all that to say that in summary, the house of the righteous is very simply the house of the Christian. If you're a Christian, your house is blessed by God in a way that it would not otherwise be. That doesn't mean that your house is is never going to experience trouble or heartache or sin or the curse or anything like that, but your house is blessed by God in a way that it would not otherwise be. And I think it would just be helpful at the outset here if we could just capture God's disposition towards our homes. God loves your house. His disposition toward your home is beyond positive. It's not kind of neutral. God loves your house. You may be discouraged about your home. And it may have lots of problems and difficulties and sins and troubles. And I just want to encourage you to take heart because God loves your home. God is for you in this endeavor. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and you're the only Christian in your home or in your family. And that, uh, that may feel like a tough slug and that may be discouraging and there, you may be dealing with this and that on, on a daily basis. You may be the only Christian in your home or family and through you, God wants to bless your family and God wants to bless your house. God loves your home. Uh, maybe you sit here and you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you don't really know what on earth you are doing. You know, maybe you did grow up in a Christian home and you still have that feeling. Like, what? I have no idea what I'm doing. And you're just kind of muddling your way through. And I think just to take heart at the the outset here, God is for you and your home. And he wants to bless it. There's also a flip side to this verse. And that is that God curses the house of the wicked. Proverbs 3, verse 33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. And I read several verses right in a row there about how God tears down that house. If you're not a Christian, what's happening is you're actually trying to build something without God's favor, and that never goes well, that never ends well. It just doesn't work. You need God's blessing on your build. Uh, If I I wanted to build a house here in Alberta, I I can't just go, oh, there's a piece of land that I like right over there. I'm going to buy that piece of land and I'm just going to start building a house here because I like this piece of land and this is what I'm going to do. There's a whole approval process to go through. Uh, That land has to be zoned and there's a lot of regulations and different things around that. It has to be zoned certain ways. Permits are required. There's all kinds of hoops that I'm going to need to jump through. If I just buy a piece of land and start building wherever I think I would like to build without the proper approvals, then then at some point the authorities are going to come and they're going to say, listen, man, you can't build a house here. That thing has to go. If I want my building project to be blessed from the outset, I have to start the right way. I have to. And if you want to build a solid home, the very first thing you need, if I could word it this way, is God's favor. You need God's approval. And it's not like a a permit that you go out and you have to buy. 
It's a gift. And it's a free gift. And if you will confess your sin to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for your sin, God will declare you righteous. It's like the big stamp, boom, righteous in my eyes. And that's where it all begins. And if you have that, you are off to a great start. If you don't, there's something that we often refer to as common grace. God's the one that designed marriage and the family. It's a good thing. But you, you want God to bless your home. And that all starts with a relationship with him. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And so I just encourage you, make sure you have God's blessing. And I want to ask you, do you? Do you have God's blessing? Which category are you in? Are you in the category of the righteous or are you in the category of the wicked? We all start in the category of the wicked and God declares people righteous. He puts them in the other category and that's a free gift received by grace through faith. Not everyone's home is, a bless, is blessed by God, but everyone's home can be. God wants to bless your home. But some of the other verses that we'll look at make it clear that in many ways, God's blessing on your home is a joint effort between you and God. You have some responsibilities. And the second piece of advice is, is going to look at you a little bit. So the second piece of advice for builders is this. Don't start too soon. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24. And I want to draw your attention here in a moment to verse 27. Some of you sit here and you haven't started your home yet. Uh, many of you sit here with children who one day will. And you might, in this very moment, or, or a day might come where you feel in a bit of a rush to get married and to start your family and to start your life. And in, in a one sense, that's a really good thing. That's awesome. But it's important to get your financial ducks in a row first. Ever the realist, Solomon reminds his son that homes and households cost money. And it's actually work in the field that sustains life in the house. You should be able to provide for a family before starting one, Solomon's going to say to his son. Whether you're literally going to build a house or whether you're going to found a family, financial security and stability are a prerequisite. Uh, just because you're physically mature enough to father a child or conceive a child doesn't mean that you're mature enough to build a home. Some 18-year-olds might be ready, and some 40-year-olds might not. This has very little to do with age. Look at what Solomon says to his son in Proverbs 24, verse 27. He says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Solomon explains that without the field, there is no house. Literally. The house requires the field. If you don't look after your responsibilities in the field, you can't sustain a house. It's that simple. So what does this mean and what does it, what does it not mean? Well, it means that if you or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend is not a hard worker, you're really not ready to get married. 
Does it mean you need a six-figure salary? Does it mean you need thousands of dollars saved in the bank? Does it mean that you can't be in the middle of some kind of job shift or trans, uh, transition or something like that? Well, not necessarily. But what is pictured here uh, is an everyday field worker doing blue-collar work. More than likely, he's sunburnt, and he definitely has dirt underneath his fingernails. This verse describes a man who takes ownership, initiative, and he understands his responsibility. He understands that starting a home requires him being in the field almost every day. The family depends on the field. And so Solomon writes to his son, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So don't start too soon. I think Solomon's writing as a, as a father to a son and seems to be saying something to this effect. Son, listen, I don't care if you're a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker. I really don't care if you make $40,000 a year or if you make $140,000 a year or more. I don't even care if you're in some kind of job transition. But before you put a ring on a girl's finger, you'd better have this work business figured out. And your work ethic and your character and your ownership, your taking of responsibility because this is yours. The family requires the field. I knew one couple uh, whose marriage ended in divorce, and uh, there were many, many factors behind it. It was certainly multifaceted. But one of the tension points in that marriage was the husband's work ethic. Uh, he had a job uh, that he put minimal effort into, and most of his time when he came home was spent lying on the couch watching TV. And meanwhile, the wife uh, went to a, a quite intense, stressful, tiring job every day, and once she came home, shouldered most of the responsibilities in the home as he sat on the couch. Well, that's not fun. That's not fun. I mean, that is going to get old really fast. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And, and so we just have this very practical word of advice. Don't start too soon. Make sure you have your financial ducks in a row and your work ethic worked out. So if I could say a word perhaps to young men in particular, God wants you to learn to work. Solomon's writing to his son and he says, son, this is a big deal. Learn to work and learn to take ownership and responsibility. You need to realize that it's not always about you finding your dream job that checks all of your boxes. And if you find that along the way, that's really awesome. That's really great. Praise God. I hope you do but you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to care for your family, even if it's menial and it's below what you trained for and it's below your aspirations. And if you work hard like that every day, do you think you want to come home to a woman who's spent her entire day doing nothing with her life? Who's not industrious or productive? I don't think so. That's not going to make for a healthy, happy home. And if you're a young woman... God also wants you to learn to work. In fact, uh, in the Proverbs 31, we're given this picture of a woman who's extremely industrious. And I would caution you, do not settle for a man who is lazy and who does not get this. 
And there are many of you uh, parents here sitting here today, and you've got kids who are, are, are young, perhaps, or they're getting a little bit older. God wants you to teach and model this for your kids. And your sons and daughters need to learn this from you, where hopefully this starts to become second nature. That your daughter's thinking, well, I want to marry a guy who's like my dad in this regard. My dad always went to work faithfully every day. He, didn't, he just did it, and he took care of us. That's what he did. And same with you, moms. Your kids are going to be husbands and wives to somebody someday. And you also, I think, want to, as a parent, consider your kid's future spouse and what they're like. Uh, what type of person do you want your son or daughter to marry? You want them to, help, you want them to understand this. And for those of you who are already married, is there anything here that needs remedied? Are you a man who's dropping the ball in this area? And does your wife feel a weight that she really shouldn't need to feel? And really, everyone here, I just want to encourage you to express your appreciation uh, to your dad, to your husband, to whatever other breadwinners may be in your home. There's a weight of responsibility here. And Solomon's starting to lay that on his son. Son, you need to feel this because you're going to feel it once you get married. And there's a weight there. And I would just encourage you, whoever in your household is doing that, to go to them and just say, hey, thank you for that. Thank you. This third piece of advice flows naturally from what we've just considered I think it just makes logical sense. Number three, choose whom you build with carefully. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21. We know that God intends for marriage to be till death do us part. And who you start with is who God wants you to stay with, whether it's going well or not. And you're going to build a family and an entire life with the person you marry. So Solomon I think advises his son, son, choose whom you build with carefully. Think of it this way. If you were literally going to build a house, I mean, you are literally going to build a house. The contractor you build with and all the subcontractors he uses or that you use along the way, uh, those people are super important. You want a good one who will do the job right the first one first time. You want one who you can trust. You want one who's capable. And it's a terrible feeling, and maybe you've had this feeling, it's a terrible feeling to, to realize partway through a job, a build, or, a, or some type of project that you made a poor choice about who you're going to go with. <laughs> like, not, not good. Several years ago, my wife and I decided that we were going to do some painting uh, and in my mind, I thought it was relatively simple painting, and I, I was talking to someone about it, some people, and uh, as I was talking about it, they said, oh, we'll come help you. And so we had a couple people who volunteered to give us a hand, and so the day came, I thought it was a great idea, it'd be super helpful, and uh, so the day came, they came over to the house, and uh, really, I thought that what we were doing was not going to be particularly complicated, but we got the paint out, and the brushes, and the other tools, and we get started, I asked people to do this and that, and uh, we're all start painting, and I'm painting over here somewhere, and I, I decide to go just see how everybody else is doing. And I took one look and thought to myself, oh my, 
I have got to find a way to get the paintbrushes out of their hands. But I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And that is not the thought that you want to have after you start building your home. (laughs) Right? And Solomon's just practical with his son. Choose whom you build with carefully. Okay, so, so what should that person be like? Well, you need to build with someone who is also righteous. Remember Proverbs 3, verse 33, where we read that God blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Why, as a Christian, would you want to marry someone who's not also a Christian? Building a home, and I think anybody who's doing that currently and who has been doing that for any length of time understands that building a home is going to be challenging even when you go with the very best. If you decide to build a literal house and you pick the very finest contractor money can buy, along the way you're going to run into challenges. It's going to be hard. There there are going to be things that are unexpected that you didn't plan for or difficult or unforeseen or whatever the case may be. Building a home is going to be challenging even when you go with the very best, but it will be brutal if as a believer you choose to marry an unbeliever. Um, during COVID, I, I think I've mentioned in some sermons before, I decided that I was going to build a chicken coop, uh, an 8 by 16 chicken coop. I had never done anything like that before. Um, I had never really built anything of that size. I know it's not that big, but for me, that was like huge. So I got my plans together and my basic idea and started building this thing. And I, 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 I didn't want to put like a... a any kind of major foundation down because I wanted to be able to pick the whole thing up and move it if I, I wanted to. So I thought I would build my foundation on like 16 by 16 inch or 20 or two foot wide uh, concrete pavers. And so I tried to clear and level the ground and get it flat. And then I put my pavers down in six different spots and I put big six by six beams across those, be- uh, those pavers. And then I was going to build my chicken coop on top of that. So I frame up the floor and I get that all ready to go. And I, now it's time to frame up the walls. Well, I decided to build it really beefy with uh, two-by-six lumber. And so I get my walls framed up. I've got them like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I've never done anything like this before. It's looking great. Like, it's kind of fun. And I remember I I climbed up on my ladder, and I was looking down the the top plate of of the front wall and immediately realized there's something, like, majorly wrong here because right in the middle of that wall, it seemed like it was two inches taller than the rest of the wall. I thought, there's, I mean, I know I'm kind of dumb, but there's no way, there is no way that I cut like two, two boards longer than all the others right in the middle of this wall. I don't know, maybe I did. I, I mean, I've done things like that before. So I get out my tape measure, I start, they're all the exact same length. I cut them all right. Well, what happened is once all the weight of the, the walls, the framing of the walls was up, you know, I've got this foundation that's not exactly that robust and the weight on the sides brought it down and it stayed or went up in the middle and then what i found out was every step after that was exponentially more complicated because nothing's square all the sheeting all the siding everything it's like custom cut here custom cut there yeah you laugh at me you should have been there to help me (laughs) 
what didn't seem like a very big deal at the time made everything exponentially more complicated as I went along. And Solomon is trying to help his son get this. Son, listen, this may not seem like a very big deal, but you've got to realize every step after this is going to be so complicated and hard. You need to build with someone who's righteous. And along with that, you need to build with someone who has character. Proverbs 21 verse 9 says that it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. We're going to come back to that verse next week and look at it some more. But for now, I just want you to note this observation. If you want to be miserable day after day, week after week, year after year, then marry someone with major character deficiencies. We all have character deficiencies, every single one of us. And we will until the day we die. And those things impact our homes. They really impact our homes. But if you pick someone that's really lacking in character, you're going to feel it. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And so choose who you build with carefully. Again, perhaps to those you have not yet married at this point, maybe you're really young, you're not even thinking about marriage. That just sounds gross. You know, you're just a kid. Don't settle. These things are so important. And character counts, as they say. And if you can get that idea in your mind now when you're young and say, you know, God wants to bless my home and he wants to bless my household and these things are important, you will be so much further along when you go to start dating or courting or whatever it is that you decide to do there. Don't settle. And if I can encourage young people as well, on on this matter in particular, to listen to your parents. Because your parents uh, and other spiritual counselors might see character. They just might, so happen, be able to see and discern character a little bit better than you. Because they're not as emotionally attached in the situation. And also, they've, they've been around the block a little bit longer. They've built a home. They've made mistakes. They've learned the hard way. And I think what happens so many times is you're a young person, you just think, well, I know better than mom and dad. Your parents love you. And if they're concerned about who you're interested in, you should take note. And I recognize that as we go through some of this stuff, uh, that there are probably people, and you sit here, and this is just kind of hard. Because you've already started building your home, And maybe you've already made some big mistakes in this regard, at least in your mind. And you go, you know what, I wish I could go back. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. Or my home's a disaster or or, or whatever the case may be. And you hear these things and some of them, they're just, it's just, your heart just breaks or you just feel like, I don't know what to do. And the reality is, is that you can't change the past, right? And in fact, I think it's the book of the Philippians where God tells us that we forget those things that are behind and we press forward to those things that are ahead. And I think if you could just go back and think about Proverbs 3, verse 33 again and remember that God wants to bless your home. What's God's disposition towards your home? No matter the state of it. You may have married an unbeliever. Your marriage may have 
ended in divorce. You may be uh, starting your second home or your third home or whatever the case may be. I would ask you this question. Are you righteous? Positionally righteous? Has God declared you righteous? Are you his child? And if you can say yes to that, God wants to bless your home. No matter what its state right now, no matter what's in the past, God wants to bless your home. And if you will walk with him and you'll say, God, I just want to humbly do that. Will you help me? God wants to bless your home and he will. And one final piece of advice for today and then we'll look at four more next Sunday. Number four, borrow brains. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Turn there if you would. If you were going to buy land and go through that whole process and build a house yourself and you'd never done it before, what would you do? I mean, you, you have not built a house ever, right? Because that's what happens. You get married, you start a home. You've never done this before. If that's me and I'm literally going to build a house and I've never done this before, I would be tapping anyone and everyone I could think of on the shoulder who knew what I didn't know and could maybe even just help me a little bit. And when it comes to building your home, you're one of the primary builders and you've literally never done this before, ever. Or maybe you did once and that fell apart and you're on round two. That's still not like a whole lot of experience here. You don't know what you're doing which means that you need to borrow brains. Do you know what you need? You need wisdom. Proverbs 24, verse 3 says this. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You need wisdom, and you don't have it. In Proverbs 4, verse 5, Solomon said to his son, you remember he says, son, get wisdom. And all thy getting, get understanding. Where are you going to go to get wisdom? Well, it's really simple. You're going to borrow it. From whom? God. God's wisdom is readily available. Turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. In Proverbs 8 and 9, wisdom is described like a person. Wisdom is portrayed as a woman, a lady. And she stands in the city streets and at the city gates and in high places and she cries out to anyone and everyone who will listen and hear her voice. God's wisdom is readily available. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and, and my cry is to the children of man. Wisdom's not hiding. God's wisdom is readily available to you. It's there for the taking. And God says, go get it. How do we do that as a Christian? Well, you can go to your Bible and mine it out. And you can go to others who know their Bibles and have God's wisdom and you can seek their counsel. 
If you want to know how to have a godly marriage, if you want to know how to raise your kids, if you want to know how to work through conflict, which all of us have, or whatever else, the Bible will tell you. But the manual is really of no benefit to you if it's sitting on the shelf collecting dust. Solomon says to his son, go, get wisdom. Get God's wisdom and don't ignore it. That's what fools do. And don't listen to foolish competing voices along the way and there's a gazillion of them. When it comes to building your house, there are so many loud and prevalent voices out there that contradict God's wisdom. I mean, folly is everywhere. Foolish advice is everywhere. And it's often, the thing about it is, it's often extremely convincing. Uh, Look at Proverbs chapter 9. And verse 14, remember, wisdom is described in in chapters 8 and 9 as lady wisdom, this this woman personified who's standing in the streets and on high places, and she's crying out to anyone who will listen to her. Well, if you look up at chapter 9, verse 13, it speaks of the woman folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. In verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by. There's a lot going on there from the earlier chapters of Proverbs. But here's a dynamic that's going on. Wisdom is in the streets calling, and so is folly. And there are all of these competing voices on all different topics And when it comes to your home, you have to know what God's wisdom sounds like so that you will distinguish it from folly. In the midst of the the chaotic streets of life, and they are chaotic, you can all too easily listen to the wrong voice. And Solomon, son, you need to know wisdom. And you you need to go get it. And you need to know what it sounds like. And you need to know what it is. And you have to be able to distinguish that from folly in the midst of all this chaos of life. Those voices will kill you. And so he tells his son, borrow brains, go get God's wisdom. You're not going to know how to do this, but God has the answers for you. Um, I've got an old truck. It has drum brakes on the back, and they've been starting to squeak and squeal, of course. You know, something else needs fixed or repaired, right? And I've never done drum brakes. Kind of tried to avoid them. Because they're more complicated. I've done disc brakes, which are pretty simple and pretty easy to do on the front of my vehicles. But I've never done drum brakes on the back. And I really don't know how to do them. I think, well, it probably can't be that hard. Never done it before. But one of the things I think, well, do you know what I can do? My dad's done them several times. I could go talk to dad. Uh, I talked to a mechanic about it. He told me some things. I can hop on YouTube and hopefully find someone that's like reputable and watch them. I'm fully confident that if I do that, if I talk to my dad, I talk to this other person, I glean everything I can from those people, I watch some videos on YouTube, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give it a go. It might end in disaster. We'll see. But I think it can be done. But I've never done it before. I really have no idea what I'm doing. But what I need to know is out there and it is available. And if I will look at it and I will find it, I can do this. And when it comes to building your home, you don't have all the answers. You've never done this before. This is your first time around the block. But the wisdom that you need is out there. It's in God's word. It's in the hearts and brains of people who know God's word and, and, and have 
grown with the Lord along the way, maybe even made some big mistakes. The wisdom is out there and it's available, but you've got to go get it. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And what that means is you need to borrow brains. Go get God's wisdom and follow it. And I want to encourage you, go to the book. Build your house with the book. And I think first and foremost, that falls on men to do that. If, if, if you are the head of your home and you're not in God's word, how on earth do you think you're ever going to get through this? You need God's word. And even if you're not uh, the head of your household, husbands, wives, couples, we all need this book. Children, build your house on the word of God. It's okay to not know what you're doing. You know, like it's really okay. That, that's really probably most of us. It's okay to not know what you're doing, and it's also okay to admit it. I think a lot of the people, they, they, they seek to build their homes. They don't actually know what they're doing, but they just try to pretend like they do. <laughs> what good does that do? It's okay to not know what you're doing. And it's okay to admit it. And there is something um, so wonderful about acknowledging that and saying, God, I need your help. And tapping someone else on the shoulder at your church and saying, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Would you, can you help me? You may be in some kind of mess or in an extremely difficult situation. And I just want to encourage you, why don't you start by humbling yourself and commit to the Lord that you're going to go get his wisdom. God, I'm going to seek this out. I'm going to mine it. I'm going to find it. And I'm going to apply it. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. Would you bow your